If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Hi, I'm SC, and you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. And it's time to get lost in Wow, 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 wow. Hello, you made it back once again. I'm Alon, writing here solo for another installment of Lost and Rewound, the weekly audio time capsule wherein we dissect and investigate the sounds of your past with fresh ears and attempt to connect the dots between then and now. If that sounds like fun to you, and you might have some relevant footage of your own, kick it about, send it our way and tell us about it. Email the show at lostandrewound at radiofreebrooklyn.org. You could be a feature guest on LNR, just like this week's guest will be in a few short moments. This week I sat down for an interview with recording artist SC, and there's just far too much show. we got to get started right away. Here we go. SC is Brooklyn-based and Little Rock, Arkansas-born singer-songwriter Sarah Cobb, who you likely saw playing in the before times all over the city, from Bowery Electric, Come On Everybody, Mercury Lounge, just to name a few. She was, in fact, also a fixture in the So Far Sounds concert series. She released her brilliant, dreamy debut album, Waiting for the Sky to Fall, last year, and fans of her music will be pleased to know that she has not let quarantine disrupt her tenacity. Today, her new single drops. It is entitled Overdrive, but that is only one of the few purposes for which Sarah has come forward to Lost and Rewound this week. Hello to you, Sarah, and welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're quarantining in Brooklyn, but you are currently coming to us today from a guitar shop. I am. I am sitting in the lobby of the guitar shop NYC which is my husband-to-be's business, and he makes guitars here and sells guitars. There's a beautiful selection of guitars if anyone needs a guitar or a bass. <laughs> Excellent. You yourself have been playing guitar. Or was that one of the first instruments you learned to play way back in the day? Yeah, actually, I, lear- I started learning how to play guitar when I was, I think, around 17. I guess it was like right before I went off to college, so... Still back in Little Rock, Arkansas, and my teacher's name was Ben Harris, and I would meet him at Guitar Center, and that quickly divulged into him being like, oh, you can sing, and then I would play like a clang here and there, and he would just like play for me, and I would sing. So I learned the basics of guitar, but I never became a guitar player. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. Now that now that you are marrying a guitarist, you're marrying yes. a musician. Um, does the relationship that you have with your uh, fiance help influence the kind of style that you hope to achieve as you move on and further yourself as a musician? Yeah, I'd say it does. It's nice to have someone to bounce things off of. That's like just in your corner the whole time, and I feel like so much more has opened up to me because. I don't have that mastery. It's like, if he hears something that maybe I wouldn't hear, we can kind of collaborate in that way. And he'll suggest something like, that's a really good idea. And I wouldn't have heard that because our brains work differently because we have different areas of expertise in what we hear in music. So yeah, I feel like it's definitely influencing in a good way. 
I definitely feel like over the years I've developed like a circle of trust. So I have Charlie Rao, who is my guitarist with yeah. SC, who's an excellent guitarist and I'll he, take any of his advice any day. He's a gem. He was on the show a couple of years yes. ago with Jimmy yes. and I. Oh my God. What a, what a sweetheart. You guys have collaborated a lot. A lot. Yeah. So he played my first show ever with me as SC. And that night he was like, Hey, I'm in. If you want to keep playing together, let's do it. And so, I mean, he's literally been with me this entire journey and he also has his own like thriving solo career and occasionally I'll get to write lyrics for that stuff. I mean, he introduced me to my producer, uh, Julie Catherine, who produced my debut album that came out last year. And so like, he's really been like a guiding force in the development of me as an artist. So yeah, like, I guess like having musicians around, I love as long as like, there's already like some form of a trust in a relationship. Like I'm always happy to have people input as long as I know where we're at, where we're coming from. And I think that's the yeah. same with any, with anyone. You don't want just some stranger coming up and being like, Hey, I think you should like, <laughs> you know, add a sick guitar solo here. It's like, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but I love having, the input of others to work off of and bounce off. That's only going to make me better. And Charlie's one of those people. Jimmy, my fiance, is one of those people. Uh, Julie, Catherine's one of those people. So, and that continues to grow after years. You're from Arkansas. I know Charlie is another child of the South. Um, yes. do, do, do you tend to find yourself uh, getting even more jazz whenever you connect with fellow Southerners uh, in the New York City music scene? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I think we all kind of, understand like the all of the gray areas of being from the south and how wonderful it is and how complicated it is but we all ended up here for a reason and I think having anybody who's like a taste of home whether it's in music or outside of music is a really wonderful thing to have. Tell me about what it was like growing up in Arkansas in terms of how that influenced your musical stylings. Growing up in Arkansas was cool. It was, but it was, it's, it's polar opposite of New York City. I mean, there's, it's way more like small town mentality. I grew up on 10 acres, like out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we're technically right outside of Little Rock, but um, pretty woodsy little area that I grew up in. And my parents loved music and they had a really extensive album collection that I would dig in as a kid. They play and music then, too? Um, they don't play music, but my mom is an excellent singer. Um, my dad plays around on the guitar every now and then. But I do have further back in like the extended family, a lot of the family on my mother's side plays bluegrass and like, like hymns and um, that kind of like mountain music, I guess we would call it. And um, I guess our family claim to fame was Jimmy Driftwood was on my mom's side of the family and he played um, a lot of like Americana, bluegrassy folk music. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I actually got to meet him before he died. He was quite a character. I, I'm not <laughs> familiar with this, uh, with, with admitted, and I should be. I mean, That's it sounds like a name I should fair. know, but I don't. Uh, it's, what's Jimmy I mean, Driftwood it's some, Jimmy Driftwood uh, was famous for recording the song, The Battle of New Orleans. It's like mm -hmm. 
1914, we took a little trip along the Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. And that has like some, some verse about like putting a cannonball inside of an alligator and exploding. It's like, yes, you do. yeah, it's like sure. a battle, a battle song. And that was like his main, his main hit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I, I can't help but like think the visual of like putting a cannonball in an alligator and well, now you have a real battle going on, baby. There you go. <laughs> Animal cruelty, more like. Oh yeah. You know. It was a different, it was a different time. It Much was a different, different time. <laughs> okay. So your parents have a very rich history uh, yes. with music in their, just in their family life. Um, yeah. Family reunions must be dope. <laughs> I yeah, so. I mean, usually we usually we hang out in Little Rock at my parents' house, and there's multiple evenings where we just like hang out and play pool, and like everyone takes turns just DJing what they want to play on the record player, mm. and then my mom will start dancing. It's like it's a vibe. It's a good. It's a good time. I mean, she like hand wrote a glossary of all of their albums. And they're all like alphabetical order, and you could like look them up in her little binder. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty cool. <laughs> what was the first concert you ever went to? I won tickets off of the radio to see Bush and Baruch Assault. What? Yeah. That's so, so sick. It was really cool. <laughs> um, I was 13, and I went with my cousin. And someone fell down the stadium stairs and like kicked my leg on the way down. I was so proud. I was like, I went to this rock concert and I have this size 12 shoe print on my thigh. Like I'm so <laughs> hardcore. Like I was so proud. <laughs> I did it. That's awesome. God, Bush and Veruca Salt. That, I mean, I'm not trying to age you girl. I'm just saying that's like what, 95, 94? Uh, it like, would have, you know what though? It would have, it was 97. 90, oh, okay. So it was like chemicals between us. All yes. the laws between us. Lying in this bed. hundred percent. Okay. Got yes. it. Okay. So yes. by this point, they're like mega band. And, and funny enough, Jimmy made Gavin a guitar. So everything's like. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's... So it's like a fun, like full circle thing. Obviously, your you know, your musical stylings and how you have uh, curated your style as a performer doesn't just begin and end with music. I mean, you are also quite fashionable. I've taken a look at some of these get-ups that you have. <laughs> I should say that you've cited a lot of lyrical influences, but it seems like some of these lyrical influences, too, also might double up in fashion cues. Definitely. Like Janelle Monet, Lana Del Rey, Jenny Lewis, Carol King, uh, yeah. St. Vincent. Like yeah. that, that's a real, that's a power. That's a, it's like a, what's it called? That's like a justice league of, like of a, singer songwriters there. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be like a dream super group. Um, yeah, definitely. I tend to be really drawn to people who treat songwriting music and show experience kind of as like a holistic thing. So I enjoy going to shows where there's a little bit of like theatrics involved as well. I mean, it can be as simple as just a crazy costume or it could be a set or it could be dancers or whatever. But I really love people who think of a song as an experience or an album as a body of work that transports you to a totally different place. And I think the visuals that go along with that can make something feel so much stronger than if it's just the song or just like enhance something so much more 
if you've heard the song, you already love the song, and then you see the visuals that go with it, or the character of the outfit that someone is wearing has always been really fun and ex- inspiring to me. So I'm trying to follow in those footsteps. Okay, bring me back to high school. What kind of clothes are you wearing? Are you more like going for self, or are you trying to impress anybody? Like, what, what, what's your what's cool. your wardrobe looking like? Well, technically, going to high school was a uniform. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school. I see. But we did get some days where we were allowed to wear uh, street clothes. And, uh, yeah. Street clothes. I love, no, I'm sorry. I know, I know it's appropriate term, but it just, it just sounds so unnatural. These are clothes that I wear on the street. These are clothes that I wear when I'm not in the school building. Yeah, my style, for better or worse, has never been totally mainstream. Uh, I was already dressing in a lot of like stuff from Salvation Army, <laughs> primarily, or Goodwill, or like old stuff I would find in like my parents' closet. I, w- I want to get to something much, much different. Uh, this is a very charged time that we're living in, and yeah. it's it's a, also a time for a lot of us to kind of, as I had alluded to in a previous episode of Eleanor, like kind of a time for us to reset. You have not been resetting, or have you been? I would say I have been. Yes, I have been. I can't say that word. I have been resetting. Talk to to me a little bit, or or us, I should say, the the audience, the listener, whoever you may be out there. Um, Tell me more about uh, how you're, have you been as a, you know, somebody who's performed and been relishing in performance and live performance, and now you can't, and what have you been doing to reset? I... Honestly, I've been taking a huge break from performing. I haven't done any live streams. This is like the first conversation I've even had like outside of my home about music. I, I've quit playing shows for the time being. I ho- I've been supporting my venues as I can. I've really been taking the time to learn production and become a better producer. I've been like roughly producing all of my demos since I started in like 2009, really kind of starting to do things for myself. And along the way, I just never really had the confidence to like push those out into the world because there was too much I didn't know or I didn't have the right sounds or I did, I I just was crippled by inexperience. And I needed a long time to like learn from other people. And so that's what I feel like the past few years have been is writing more and working with different producers, working with different musicians, gaining a lot of confidence. And so now with quarantine and not being able to play out, um, I do have a home studio. So I've just been really digging in to that and being like, all right, now's your time. Like you have no excuse to not be bettering yourself in this way. Even if you don't do anything with these songs, like just get a better grasp on the stuff that you've been building the whole time. And another thing that I've been doing is On my last album, everything was mostly studio instruments and samples from the programs from uh, Ableton or Logic. Um, And we had Charlie on there throughout the album playing live guitar, but everything else was pretty much sampled. Now I'm diving more into recording uh, live drums, live bass, live guitar, and working with musicians and producing from that angle. And so that's a whole new experience for me. Um, And then doing all of the rough mix and getting things in places where I want them myself. And then working with 
a mixer, um, Albert De Fiori mixed Overdrive. So that was a whole new experience working with him and just really taking on this role is a different thing for me now. And so that's kind of where I've been resetting as an artist is pivoting over to this other skill set. We want to, at this time, unveil the single Overdrive on Radio Free Brooklyn. I don't know if anybody else has played this yet, but if it is the case that it is me who is bestowing RFB's uh, streaming airwaves with this song, then I, I am far too honored to be given that opportunity. Um, but before we get to it, I wanted to also make a note that there is a video out for this. Or maybe we can save that for after. I don't know. I really, you, you know what? Let's play the song now. I have a lot of questions about the video because uh, okay. it's 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 on brand with L and R in my opinion because <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it features really old really. it features old stuff. But um, uh, anything we need to set up before we listen? Anything uh, at all that you any fun facts? Maybe we should be listening for. I don't know why I'm doing a dance currently as I say this. I like it. I'm like I'm like <laughs> this is the dance of. Please tell me about how to do some kind um, of lead into your song. I don't know. Fun facts. Let's see. Um. I started writing this song over Christmas and my mother actually helped me get through the first verse and chorus. So Amazing. it was like my first kind of co-write with mom. Awesome. And then when I came back, I started producing the demo and then I got Charlie Rao on guitar. I got uh, Mitch Friedman on bass, a bass that was made at the guitar shop. Hey. Um, hey. I have Oscar Hogdahl on drums. And then Albert De Fiori mixed it, and with all of our powers combined, this is what came out. Never met a love that I didn't know. How to let go of, how to get over.
exclusive here on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was the brand new single by SC Overdrive. Yeah. Far out. That was, I mean, I, I've heard it before, and this is my second time hearing it. And it just, it's wonderful to hear it without looking at the visuals, to just like immerse myself in the sounds uh, without being distracted by what you were going to tell me about in a little bit, uh, <laughs> which is a, a brilliant video. Um, I really love, from what I have heard from your previous material, the graduation to more live instrumentation there. Uh, I mean, clearly you're no stranger to having a backing band, but there's something really beautiful about the uh, attention to bringing a more fuller sound than just the electronic pop that you have been so good at uh, bringing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was something I was scared of for a long time because I wasn't sure I would be able to translate my ideas to people I was intimidated so I just never really did it and I was like I'll just stick to my wheelhouse and do this thing and do this thing well but I know Charlie had been pushing for us to try it for a long time and this song I felt like really lent itself to live drums and I think it brought a lot to the weight and the feeling of the song and that led into live bass and it was just like people were so encouraging and people wanted to play on it and uh it wasn't terrifying at all and it's one of those <laughs> things when you look back you're like why why was I avoiding this thing that is great and you know I think it's still a song to song thing if it makes sense to have live instruments played and if there's a place for it it's in the service of the song. I think I'll definitely keep pushing into yeah. this. I have another song that I'm working on right now that also has live guitar, live drums, a pedal steel. Uh, hey, slide why not? Guitar, You're which is like a whole <laughs> new realm. Yeah, I'm just kind of exploring what we can do in that realm. And it is, it's bringing a whole new dynamic. Things are a little bit more organic, I think, in the way that it feels because you have people putting in little flourishes in places that, I would probably have in my head, but like getting that same kind of feel sometimes for me just on a MIDI keyboard is a little bit harder to achieve. So it's been really nice to have such talented musicians yeah. like Linda and Han. I know for a fact that uh, you did a little bit of hard work on your own, though, when it came to making this music video. How did you come across this footage of the United States Postal Service public service announcement uh, <laughs> encouraging people to use the new zip code system? I have a background in graphic design. Um, so I have a lot of design friends and one of my best friends had found a website that curated a lot of like public domain materials. Originally on that website, it's called Public Domain Review. And I was originally on that website looking for something that I might be inspired to use as cover art. And um, I had just gone down so many holes. And then I started realizing that there was a lot of public domain footage of old stuff. And that I spent a whole day just playing the song and seeing like if I could find anything that lined up with any of the footage that I was finding. And then I found this and I was like, whoa, this is kind of eerie how well it matched up and I did totally. do I definitely did like once the bridge of the song hits 
um, the instrumental bridge was kind of the end of the amount of footage that was lining up perfectly. So I did do a lot of editing in mm. iMovie, which is also one of my new skills, my new, <laughs> my new quarantine. Your, qu- your quarantines. That's perfect. Uh, uh, if anybody needs some very elementary iMovie editing, you should open up iMovie and do it yourself because it's really easy. Yeah. <laughs> if only I was an Apple user. I'm falling away from the times, clearly. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm um, what, what, what did this, a dinosaur? There's I use Android be, and, uh, and, and Windows. There's <laughs> be some kind of equivalent. No, uh, I, I have a very, very basic um, knowledge of how to do video editing. It's to a point where I should be doing that now. Um, I, if I knew how to do video editing back when I was actually more active as an actor, I would have had three or four reels by now. But no, nope, sure. I want everybody to do the work for me. No. Do not that's, do that. No. That's nice no. too. I respect that too because sometimes there's stuff where you're just like, that's it's too much. I need help here. <laughs> Somebody else is going to do it better. This is going to take me 48 hours. <laughs> and then you have a relationship after that. So, yeah, you know, you know I would like to just, yes, I will, I will agree with that. You know, even though this footage that you found is from it, entirely irre, not representing at all something about your song. You managed to somehow make it all fit together. Um, yeah. What about that certain footage? Did you well, feel lent itself to enhancing the lyrics of the song and the themes? Yeah, the, the, well, the footage is, as you stated before, it's from 1967. It's a United States Postal Service PSA encouraging people to start adopting the zip code system. And so... They had um, a band called The Swingin' Six do essentially like a 20-minute long music video with different vignettes. I chose to match up with the one that is, it's a love story, and it's about a guy sending a letter to his girlfriend across the United States, but he doesn't use the zip code, so it doesn't get to her. Um, And she just, she gives up and she goes, she uh, finds someone else to spend her time with. Uh, and he's heartbroken. He's just really devastated. And then, so he tries again. He uses the zip code, and it goes straight across to a new lady. Why this man insists on constant long-distance relationships, I think, is another issue that is not addressed in this music video. But um, zip codes work. And I think this enhances the lyrics of the song, because the lyrics of the song are all about enduring heartbreak, finding new love, finding new hope, um, and starting over again. And that's, that's, it's the same thing happening there, just under the guise of the United States Postal Service. Things I can take from that, trust the United States Postal Service, support the United States Postal Service, especially this year. Um, Zip codes are effective. When you use them, yes. Yes. Long-distance relationships are not yes they're questionable to say the least (laughs) (laughs) good luck overdrive in case you want to see that video it's on youtube it's also the 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 single is available on all available platforms including spotify and apple music uh anywhere else or soundcloud eventually i guess or all of them all of them all over all over fantastic (laughs) hey we're gonna listen to some more of your older material are you excited to get a little more lost and rewound with us I'm very excited. Yes. Beautiful. (laughs) When we return, 
more with SC, a.k.a. Sarah Cobb, here on LNR Radio Free Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps to stay on the air. Support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Sarah Cobb is our guest this week. She goes by the artist's name SC, which is brilliant, first of all, because you just spelled out the initials of your name. I'm so happy you got that. I... <laughs> Can I can I share something with you? I'm sorry. Yeah. I I had I had. <laughs> I was gonna say this for the end, but like, it was June of 2009. Okay, and I saw a couple of friends at Angels and Kings at a karaoke <laughs> night that was hosted by Real World Brooklyn's own Chet Cannon, mm-hmm. and it was you and Emily. Yes. And th- the way we connected on Facebook was that I snapped some digital camera pics and then uh, I put them up and you tagged yourself and Emily and other friends that were there. Uh, do you remember what you were even singing? Just, just. A- <laughs> I, I, I do. I actually you remember. Yes, because it was the only time. So we went to that karaoke night because Emily had a crush on the, the real world guy. Okay. Um, and then it was really fun. So we just kept coming and, um, we met you there, which was a delight. We were singing sweet dreams, the Eurythmics. Yes. Because I remember harmonizing with her on that. And it was one of the few times she ever like agreed to sing with me. So we just, I, I, that's my only memory of like what we specifically were singing, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. I had really big glasses is all. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I recall that. And uh, that was one of my first impressions of you. I mean, we all have first impressions of somebody in terms of like appearance and everything, but you, you do not wear glasses anymore. No, I don't. I got a, I got some laser surgery <sighs> in my eyes. When did that happen? Hmm. Uh, probably 2014, 2013. Okay. The Sarah of the past was very bespectacled, but no more. Adult SC? Not happening with this image. Oh, she had laser beams in her eyes. Oh, okay. Um, uh, uh, let's 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 talk about. Uh, you know, we were just talking about uh, memories of which were uh, salvageable uh, because Facebook. Um, yes. But let's talk about memories that are unsalvageable, um, or maybe possibly salvageable. Um, you have a really amazing story about recording something at Sun Studios, the famous. Sun Studios, and it well, is what is going to be our first clip, supposedly. I have so not heard there's, this. There's, there's a little bit of a caveat to that. So okay. when I was about 11, I think it was like 1995, and if you guys want to do the math on that, you can, but uh, it was a trip that my, I grew up in Little Rock in Memphis, Tennessee is very, is like two and a half hours away, so we would go there a lot on just like family little day trips. And we had gone with my grandmother, who I adored. She's like my best friend, kind of like whatever she says goes, do anything Granny tells you to do. Granny was a huge fan of Elvis Presley. 
so I grew up like watching Elvis movies with her, like his concert in Hawaii, we would watch all the time. <laughs> Big Elvis fan. So <laughs> she, she was the one who taught me about Sun Studios, that being where he had recorded. And so when we went to Memphis, she was with us and uh, we were like, oh, well, we need to stop by Sun Studios. And we were trying to find it. And we found what they had labeled as Sun Studios, but it was like for like the tourist version of Sun Studios. So it was like a gift shop, you know, little exhibits about the history, but it wasn't like the actual Sun Studios is like further down the road where is like a fully functioning studio where people are still recording. So this is technically at the Sun Studios gift shop. And what they do is they had, and this no longer exists, but they had a list of songs, almost like a menu. And like it's karaoke. Like, yes, like pay this much and you can go in the booth. And to their credit, like they had a live studio engineer and it's like, you're in a real booth. They have a real board. Everything was like totally professional, but you're singing karaoke. And my grandmother was like, you're going to do this. And I was like, I don't, I don't know any of these songs. Cause I'm 11. Like I didn't know a lot. And she was like, well, I want you to sing, um, Crystal Gale's Donut Make My Brown Eyes Blue. And I was like, Granny, I've never heard that song. I can't go into a booth and sing it. She was like, you've heard it. And she like kind of like hummed it to me a little bit. And I was like, I really don't think I've ever heard this. And she was like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. It's an easy song to sing. Just get in there and do it. So I did. It was immediately apparent that I didn't know the song. So I'm just kind of doing whatever I could do. And it was also my first time ever in a booth, first time ever being recorded. And it was, at the time, my heart was being so fast. I was like sweaty and so nervous. And there's like my whole family behind the glass, just like watching me in this vocal booth. There's people down in the gift shop watching me in the vocal booth and the engineer, like on the other side of the glass, just like adjusting things. And then, when we were done, to make it even worse, the guy was like, hey, that wasn't half bad. And then he played it over the speakers in the store so that everyone there, like, shopping could hear it oh, man. as well. Um, but <laughs> I was mortified when I was 11. But now it's, like, so special to me because my grandmother passed away. It's, like, one of the few memories I have of her and her just, like, so fiercely believing that I could do it. and that it would be a good experience for me um, is pretty priceless. And so my parents mailed me this tape and then I was devastated because I tried to play it and it was broken yeah. and it didn't work. And Jimmy, my future husband, opened up the tape, took it all out, taped it back together. Unbelievable. And we got most of it. Oh, <laughs> it gets pretty crazy at the end. It's like, I played it for Charlie and he was saying it was like kind of like a David Lynch turn at the end because oh, wow. of the damage of the tape, but the tape is 25 years old. So I'm glad to at least have some of it preserved. I have not heard this. So this is going to be a fascinating uh, first <laughs> listen for me. And I am thrilled to be playing it today on LNR. <laughs> Thank you. 
god oh my god i if I, if if it wasn't such a short song i i think i would just have a, given myself the permission to cry cuz it, it's it's just it's so good oh my god it was I feel like, like somewhere in there i was just like i'm going to commit to one note that stays the same the whole time cuz i don't know the melody of this song so i'm just going to sing this one note and it'll be fine. I, I re- like. I went back and looked at the actual recording that Crystal Gale made famous, and it is not close at all. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's fine. It's my, you know, it's, a, it's my own cover. <laughs> I, I just, you know, if, if I had known karaoke was when I was eleven, I probably would have done the same thing. I would have probably gone yeah. to a studio and probably would have like tried to find as many different opportunities to get on the microphone and sing in some kind of way. Um, yeah, you would have, you would have, you would have been in heaven. <laughs> I, I just, I, where do I? I mean, this is why I need a team with me, and just because, like, I need to make sense of this. God, okay, where? Like, all right. First of all, it was gorgeous. It was. Like, I thought it was gorgeous. I know you. You. You speak upon uh, knowing that you, this was merely just the beginnings of somebody who, in your own right, has a world of knowledge and a breadth of talent but i mean hearing uh the beginnings coming from such a a voice like this i mean you have always sang so well i can tell you have always been a good singer like (laughs) this mortified you when you were younger it must be humbling to hear it considering how uh wonderful uh of a career you've had so far and hearing this is like this is the beginning like this is where it came from yeah, and I think it's really endearing to me now. I mean, I still remember how I felt. I've learned that you have to feel that way before you can ever not feel that way. So in living through those experiences and seeing like, oh, wait, that wasn't that bad. Or like, all right, I sounded like this. How can I make yeah. it better? I think it's valuable. It's really valuable. And it's it's also just the connection with my grandma and knowing that she like forced me to do it yeah. is something that like, I'll 
cherish that taste it's, forever now. It, it's really special that you have that connection that you'll always live with. Um, I can't even begin to tell you how funny it was to hear it. Uh, it and what Charlie evidently uh, cited was a, a more of a Lynchian sort of vibe. Um, I, I'm with that. I'm with that for sure. It is, you know what, honestly, you know, speaking as somebody who recorded himself over and over again on tape growing up, uh, you know, so I did both things, you know, I recorded myself on tape and played it back for, you know, myself and my mother to hear. And then, yes. you know, I was also on stage and performing all the time when there would be tapes though that would like get warped or like, you know, or I wanted to mess around with like the speed, like sped up or slow down and sure. hearing yourself slow down. I wonder, I always wonder if like when I was a kid, like if my slowed down voice is going to sound like how I am when I'm older, when I'm grown up, yeah. <laughs> when I'm grown up is, is my slow down <laughs> voice going to be my adult voice? <laughs> thank God it's not. No, thank goodness. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was all the notes uh, that I had for that. Uh, but job well done on your fiance's part for uh, saving the tape. Goodness gracious, thank that was you, yeah. I thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> that, was, that was a huge save. Yeah. Uh, let's get to the next track, and this is uh, a little later. It's this is this is a song called "Dirty Old Man." Could you set the stage for us? Wow. What is this about? <laughs> Two thousand three. Yeah, this is. There's a couple of things happening here. I So I had started taking the guitar lessons right before I went to college. I went to college. I left for college in 2002. Where'd you go? Uh, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. Oh, shit. For real. Very good. Yeah. Great I, I, I have a few, yeah. few, yeah, a few, a few friends, a few uh, a good eggs who I know who've been through those doors. Well, yes. We've, we've all migrated to New York. <laughs> <laughs> um. I had started playing guitar and I had started writing songs on the guitar and then I would teach my songs to my guitar teacher and eventually he was like, you have like four or five songs, let's like put them together in a little thing. And he plays guitar on this, but this is a song from that original EP, but the content of the song, the title of the song is called Dirty Old Man. And I thought it was maybe more relevant today than ever, um, so I also grew up playing golf and I got my first job ever when I was 14 years old at a women's golf store in Arkansas. And I became very close with the owner. Uh, it was a female, uh, business owner and her husband. And they became like my, basically like another set of parents. I played golf with them growing up, like wonderful couple. And they let me work there all through high school. And then um, when I came back in college, I had an internship somewhere else, but they would like take me out to lunch every now and then just to like stay in contact. And so one day the husband called me and was like, are you free for lunch? And I was thinking I was going to lunch with both of them, but it was just him. And over the course of the lunch, he said some really bad things about where they were at in their marriage. And then afterwards he um, took me to like the back of the parking lot and asked if he made me nervous and if he could kiss me. And I'm 19, so I'm like, like what the heck is going on here? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Like you're married, not only are you married, you're married to somebody that I care a lot about. And he was like, 
you know, it didn't go well. <laughs> it didn't go well for him. Yikes. And then I told my parents and my mother went and had lunch with his wife and confronted her about it. And she did not believe me and dismissed it. And that was the end of that. I'm glad that I told my parents. I'm glad that like we had this moment of reckoning and that my parents believed me and that the, the closure was there some sort. But I just was stewing on it for so long. I was so angry that she didn't believe me. Um, and so this was, this was my, <laughs> I wrote this song. I just wrote this song. And I don't think my father has ever been prouder of me musically. I have yet to surpass this in his book, I think. I think this is like his jam. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Shame, shame, shame. friends. I never wanted to be your Trust that we have. Oh, we can never be recovered. Cause you made a mistake. Did you think that it would work? Still don't understand. But I want you. That was that was raw. You had harmonies on there. I think you, you did mention that you were doing harmonies with someone on there, right? I roped in my best friend, Megan Bennett, to do that with me. Sorry, Megan. She never wanted anything to ever be heard, but she has a beautiful voice. And Definitely. When did you move to New York? 
2008. For our final track, you recorded this in 2009. What is the name of this song? This song is called EIO. I've included it here because I think... This is your first production credit? I mean, yes. It you was produced the, this on your, by I yourself. Produced I produced it at home. This was like my venture into... In 2009, I bought my first home studio. I bought all of like the very, very basic, basic studio equipment. I had like a MIDI controller, some monitors, a little interface, and garage band. I moved to New York after I had lived in D.C., and when I was in D.C., I had my first experience playing in a band. One of my coworkers, uh, Genevieve Cruz, was the original guitarist for Salt and Peppa, like the touring what? guitarist. And so she had heard me sing, and she invited me to come sing with her band. And then uh, when I moved to New York, I had started singing here and there, like recording with people that had like found out that I sang, but I wasn't pursuing it myself. And then I found myself in those sessions getting really frustrated because we were trying to write music together, but like they had written the track and then I was just top lining on top of it as a vocalist. And I was writing the vocal melody, but the music underneath it, I would have ideas, but I didn't know how to get them out. And so finally I was like, if I want to like make what's in my head, I need to just learn how to make this myself so that was the beginning of all of this it's called eio and it's like based off of you know the children's nursery or imo mcdonald mm -hmm. um and it also has like a lot more of like kind of the dance punk electronic vibe of like stuff that i was listening to at the times so. this is 2009 eio i mm -hmm.
how'd that feel listening to that? Good. Great. <laughs> as, good as, as good as it's going to feel. Um, yeah, I mean, it got me moving. Yeah. It really, it really did. You, you, nobody could see it except for you, but um, it was delightful. Considering like how well you have curated your career out of you know making really fun dance pop, and you know just hearing how the beginnings of that, like it, it's a beautiful like egg, and just like watching you know it hatch into whatever it, uh, you've decided to do with it, which is to say much more than just making fun dance music. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it too. Looking back on that, you know, hearing that and remembering what I felt like when I made that, just being like, I remember playing that for people and people would just laugh. And I don't, I don't think they were laughing at me. I think they were laughing because it was fun now in retrospect, like, but at the time I was like, what am I, what? I mean, it's, this was my best effort. Is it funny? It's like, no, it was like a funny song. It's like a silly little group. And like, yeah, if you were ever going to put that out in the world, it needs a lot more work, but it's a nice foundation. It's a nice like thing to look back on and see now, like how far I've come off of that is, is encouraging to me now to be like, okay, well, if you get stuck again, like listen to this stuff, don't give up. Like it, it keeps getting better and better and you're going to learn more and more. And the sound is going to evolve and your songwriting is going to evolve and have faith that if it's like a joyous thing to do and you feel driven to keep doing it, then keep doing it and it'll get better. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your past with us this week, Sarah. Of course. Thank you for allowing me to share. Keep on doing what you're doing for real. Thank you. I will. And that will do it for us this week. We got to go, but don't forget to check out our back catalog of episodes over on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on our main site, radiofreebrooklyn.org slash L-A-R. This has been episode 219 of Lost and Rewound. Till next week, I'm Alon, telling you that Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, stay safe, informed, and most importantly, hydrated. Bye-bye. you know allow yourself to pour pour what's meant to be poured into a glass and drink it up and it might be bitter to swallow but i don't know where that is going i I feel like i'm going to swear with that when i did